All right, well, hopefully today we'll, uh, we'll be talking a lot. I know Mary's going to have a problem with the audio. Just don't put it on the Internet. Okay. Um, okay, so uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Thessalonians chapter 4. We are going to talk about, we already kind of uh, talked about eschatology in terms of kind of the end times and our grounding of hope. So today will be a little bit more about the kind of context and the language Paul uses and what that would mean for those first listeners. So two weeks ago, uh, we kind of introduced the religious life and kind of this uh, civic religion life. And then last week we just talked about the religious life, the cults of Dionysus and, and Cabreus and how these um, religious rites, you know, have some very kind of interesting, strange sexual uh, revelry and, um, and how Paul was kind of teaching, you know, against that. And then today now, though, it's a, it's a kind of an interesting little passage because those who, you know, been to a funeral or... Um, you know, awake. Or, or, this is a, a passage that's often used. And um, uh, yeah, so, anyways, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, 13, and we'll just read 13 and 14. Uh, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who may, uh, that you may not grieve as others do have, uh, as others do who have no hope. Going to learn how to read here. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. All right, so one of the things that I kind of just lay out on the handout is that you know, Paul is talking about real hope, and uh, in this context, um, when you have real hope, you can grieve. So grieve with, grieving with hope versus grieving without hope. And um, this is very important, especially as you attend funerals, is that these, this statement kind of embraces the human reality while embracing God's reality at the same time. And how, how can that actually happen? Um, especially as you enter into a funeral. Because... Um, not, not to get into all this, but uh, grieving in the face of death for many of the kind of philosophers at that time, you would have a very, like, a, well, the word stoic, right? Kind of, a, you know, like stoic, you don't show any emotion, right? Um, that, that, that's where it comes from. So, so you actually, you had people who would say that you need to be stoic during death because death is just the way it is, kind of like, part of life. So it's natural. And so you, you, you don't grieve and that well, you got to control your emotions. You don't want to get your emotions ahead of you. Um, and, uh, and then also, so you have that aspect happening here in Paul. So a little pastoral care. You know, this, this human reality that we're, we're, we, we're sad when loved ones die because uh, we experience the loss. Now, the other aspect, too, though, is the no hope. And several weeks ago, we briefly touched on the fact that within even the religious belief of kind of Thessalonica, there wasn't any real hope, meaning that just because the God rose from the dead, there wasn't really any promise that those who believed in the God would, in fact, rise from the dead. Or even worse, that those who entered into death would have to be led along this kind of journey towards kind of Hades or, or, or depending on which, which religious cult that you were a part of. And that wasn't necessarily like a positive thing. It was a very scary thing. Like this journey would be very scary. And, uh, you know, because it was death. And, uh, you know, like, so we, our kind of common understanding, especially we're in Chicago, Right? The sticks, the river sticks. I mean, so. The rock man, right? Okay. 
he lives in Darien, right? The guy, uh, whatever, Darien or uh, what's that other? Burr Ridge. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, okay, so, so you have these two aspects. You have the grieving aspect and then the no hope aspect. And Paul is basically saying you can grieve and you can have hope. So this is kind of a whole new kind of worldview as you, as you approach death. But for many of us, it's kind of like, well, of course, right? Um, so we, we kind of have to kind of slow down and see kind of how um, important this is to our faith. Now, the thing is, though, is that um, we do see a little bit of the same, uh, especially grieving, uh, in our common heritage, I would think. How many people are told to get over it when you grieve a lost one? It might, it might not be so... Uh, blatant, like, hey, get over it, but, you know, it's been three months, it's been four months, you got to move on. Grieving process for each person is, is very different. And also, um, Ted and Sandy Kahn did a little nice little presentation and discussion for some parents last year. And one of the things that he said was, grieving is, is part of the gospel, in, the, in this sense. And that, that is something that actually moves you into kind of this new life uh, without this person. And so I would say that would be kind of be using the biblical example here. Um, but all that's, yeah, Jan. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so, so Jan brings up a, a, a very important point is that when you grieve, you, on, you don't only grieve at a, at a death of a loved one. In fact, actually, this is, uh, I wasn't going to get into this, next, next time we'll talk a little bit about the notion of asleep. Um, you could argue that Paul, for those who are, you know, baptized into Christ, they fall asleep, they don't die. So... So, and that, that would be part of our understanding of what death is. And Pastor Brzezik, I think, preached on that, whatever, a couple weeks ago, right? Um, anyways, so, yeah, so Jan's right. Grieving is more about a sense of loss, not specifically about death. Lindsay? Yes, it's, uh, the, the sitting shiva, you know, the, the, the practice of presence, just being around, um, now, that's exactly right. So this is, this is really important because as Paul speaks to these kind of, you know, Gentiles, Paul's bringing with him this Jewishness, and, but, not, uh, but obviously grounded in the Messiah, in Jesus Christ. So that as he uh, gives pastoral care to these people, he, you, know, you have to have this kind of in your background. Like, what, what does this mean to have hope? And so, first of all, uh, you know, how can one have Shiva, sitting Shiva, uh, you know, in this circumstance? And, and you can be with someone because you do have hope. Um, it, it's, uh, it's not just simply like, like group therapy or, or catharsis. It's actually real. It actually does something to the person to give one hope. And so that's where Paul is really driving home now. This whole section is about hope, but basically the foundation of hope and then the ramifications of that foundation on a person's present life. So uh, you, you kind of keep this in, in the back of your mind because, um, well, Paul deals with a, a practical notion of where does one's hope come from. Uh, obviously, if you know your Psalms, I look to the hills, where does my hope come from? It comes from the Lord. Uh, so, okay, so, so now uh, th that's kind of where we are. So Jesus' death and resurrection radically changes how we see the world in terms of death, earthly death, but also in terms of how we uh, uh, kind of maneuver through it. And I, I think a lot of people just take it for granted. Oh, you know, a Christian, you believe, you believe your loved one is, is uh, you know, a Christian and they die, so they're in heaven, so what's the big deal? Or, I've heard, I've heard this too, you know, hey, funerals are, are more celebrations. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I don't, I, no, I don't think so. 
I actually, I mean, I try my best to uh, counsel families to not ignore the reality of grief. Now, again, so we talked about Irene Spicer. She's 100 years old. Um, some people experience grief before the person actually dies. So, so this is a whole, that, so you've got to keep this in, in kind of your personal context where you, you might say, well, I've been to someone's funeral where it was a real celebration. Well, okay, but you can't, you can't just make a principle out of this. You have to kind of see what's going on. So Irene Spicer's, uh, and Diane's fine talking to me talking about this because I, I said I, I might talk about this. Um, uh, uh, so, so Diane, so Irene, uh, you know, experienced some dementia, some Alzheimer's, and so now, you know, the grieving process had started, whatever, two years, three years ago. Well, exactly. Okay, good. So this is very good. So the idea, though, is so what I'm getting at is is that as we um, experience the loss, where does our hope? And and but the the idea is that what Paul is doing. What Paul is, is doing here is that he's not ignoring he's not ignoring this this grieving aspect. Because you believe Jesus rose from the dead and you will rise again, that doesn't tell you you can't grieve. What's that? Well, he, that's exactly right. Like those who have no hope, right? That's right, and, um, and and but I but I think that's very important because um, as as we experience loss, you know what is the what is like a real or a good response to it? Not only for those who have experienced it themselves, or but those who might love those who have gone through it, and how you know how, how do you care for them? I just I just know that. Um, Especially, you know, going to wakes and, you know, kind of standing with the family and having loved ones kind of come through and they really don't know what to say. So they say, well, you know, he's in heaven now. Well, that, that's a true statement. Okay. I mean, I mean that, that, that's, that's true. However, uh, you know, yeah, right. I mean, it, it, I, I think the person's real nice, and, he's, and he or she's trying to uh, kind of comfort the person. But frankly, I mean, the person, the person doesn't actually need that necessarily because the person does have hope. I mean, the person doesn't need, you know, so, so there's this, this kind of burden now that's put on the person who's grieving. It's always, a, it's always a kind of an uncomfortable thing for me as a pastor where I think, ooh, you know, or, or, you know, I mean, there's a variety of, of things where if you lose a child or, I mean, if you lose a house, you could just say, well, it's just stuff, right? Yeah, right. I mean, so, I mean, the idea is that, you know, so, yeah, you know, we always, we always have to, we always have to kind of, um, and so Paul's, you know, this is the kind of discussion that Paul is having with respect to this uh, passage. Okay. I won't move. <laughs> but of course, you know, it's, it's dealing with death specifically uh, or those who have fallen asleep. So Paul's applying this. Uh, Krista, what were you going to say? Yeah, like what's next? Well, yeah, what's my meaning? Yeah, that's, that's, right. that's good. Um, you know, and so that's right. So, so you know, funeral luncheons, having a little bit of laughter is good. That's right. Um, but I, you know, I would always argue that the funeral luncheons are after the funeral, which goes to the ritual, and that um, you have this, uh, you know, burial, the last goodbyes, the 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 the, the departure, the sending off, and the you know, to a certain extent, the funeral luncheon is kind of the first thing of the new, new life without the person, and so, um, yeah. So, so I mean that this is some, right? Exactly. Well, and I would say that the the luncheon itself is a a deal. Uh, I'm just gonna probably maybe move it down a little bit. I don't know, but um, 
it's a it's a it's a good thing because the funeral luncheon echoes the the table fellowship one has in 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 the Lord's Supper, in the heavenly realm and the earthly realm, and how our life together in heaven is a marriage feast, and so. Um, I, you know, I think the luncheon is really important. So, yeah. Okay, anyways, but then, uh, yeah, so, so one of the things, though, too, is that for those who are not Christians, we as Christians kind of say, oh, you know, what do they have hope in? And the fact is, is that they just don't have hope, and they're okay with that. I mean, one of the, one of the things is the, uh, you know, the discussion of end-of-life issues and how, um, you know, you know, you know, trying to make death pleasant. Uh, oftentimes it's discussed in terms of like uh, least painful or dignified death. It's kind of like, I'm going to go out on my own terms. Uh, you know, a lot, of, a, a lot of that discussion, though, is, is devoid of any hope. And so we as Christians have to kind of ask, well, are, there's, there's some fundamental problems with this discussion or these policies that are created. Um, but let, let's not get into that. We're just talking about grieving and what's hope's foundation and the, the Thessalonians. So 15 through 18, Paul's polemic against earthly hope. Um, there are important civic vocab words in this section. First, so 15 through 18 is the coming of the Lord. That is something where that's code language. Coming of the Lord would be applied to Caesar. Coming of the Lord would actually be Lord Caesar, although Paul is, of course, using the word Lord in terms of Lord Jesus or Lord Christ. And so the coming of the Lord Jesus is in contrast to the coming of a ruling dignitary or a victorious general. And we know that because it's accompanied by trumpets and cries of announcements which Paul says, you know, the cry uh, of command, the voice of an archangel. And, and so that um, as those who have fallen asleep or have died are not um, going to be separated from the second coming of the Lord, but they actually have a, a, a better spot or a higher spot. And so then that helps the Thessalonians see those who have died to not necessarily believe that, oh, hey, they're missing out on something, but they're actually going to have a front row seat to something. And so, and that's based on the hope that Jesus' death and resurrection also means his coming again. So caught up together in the, in the clouds versus outside the city, again, this would be then as a ruling dignitary that, that um, you get caught up outside the city. So you would, as a uh, ruling dignitary or a victorious king comes into the city, usually to announce how awesome he is, you would actually get caught up with this. Again, we get, get caught up in the festivities, right? That's where this language kind of comes from. You would literally, though, would go outside the city, meet them outside the city, and say, great, and you would all march in victorious because you would all be together. You're associating yourself with this person. And, but, um, so yeah, so you'd be with Jesus in this heaven real, heavenly reality. Now, so you go out, like if you were a Roman person in Thessalonica, you would go out the city walls, you would meet this ruling dignitary and be like, hey, this is a great festivity. This is going to be a great party, a, a victorious party. And so you come back into the city and you have kind of this new festivity, this new reality. Of course, this is temporary. Which goes on to the next verse is to meet the Lord in the air versus meeting the, you know, on this earthly. So this, uh, the Lord Jesus, his realm is not the earthly realm, but it's, it's actually cosmic. You're going to go meet Jesus in the air as he comes back to rule the universe, not just the earth, but heaven and earth. But then Paul actually kicks it up a notch to be always with the Lord versus this kind of temporary festivity that will have a, an end. This, so Paul is getting to this. This is a whole new way of life now for us as Christians, that with our hope in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have a whole new way of being in this world.
And that new way of being in this world will come up against the religious life in Thessalonica. So the next little bit there, I just I kind of quote from a couple weeks ago, is that as Paul enters into Thessalonica in Acts 17, you know, they're accused of going against the decrees of Caesar and turning the world upside down. And, you know, we, we give evidence here of how that actually was true, that people took oaths, uh, you know, for, you know, for Caesar, they pledge allegiance to Caesar, and part of that pledge of allegiance is to actually uh, attack and pursue with arms, sword, by land or by sea, any of those who go against it. So, you know, it's just what's happening in Acts 17 is just what should have been done always. So the thing is, is that, um, so Paul is rearranging these, the Thessalonians' hope according to Jesus versus according to Caesar. Now, for us, you might say, oh, yeah, okay, that's not that big of a deal. We might see that's a little bit benign or nice, you know, kind of hyperbola. Like, look at those people. How could they put hope in, in you know, real hope in their Caesar? Well, if you go to Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3, uh, you know, Jesus' return will, will, will come at any time. No one really knows. But the quote, it's a quoted in e, the ESV. I don't know if you guys have NIV or King James. But in verse 3, while people are saying there is peace and security, there is peace and security is, is actually a slogan. Slogan of, of uh, Caesar. People would say there's peace and security, which is related to the, the peace of Rome or the Pax Roma, Roma Romana. Oh, some of you guys might have heard that, but that is something where that was throughout the Roman Empire. So as the Roman Empire increased in size, they brought the peace of Rome. Of course, the peace of Rome was based on victorious war. Yeah, so bloodshed. Krista? Jesus did come. Yeah, but in this time, where it was peace. Well, real peace. Not fake peace. Yeah. And this is, yeah. this is what Paul is getting to, is that uh, these people who, who say, the real, where is real peace? And real peace is found in the fact that uh, within Rome, uh, there's, no, there's no more wars. You know, like, I mean, if you go to Rome, there was peace and security because everyone lived in fear of the Caesar. But it, it, things were kind of orderly. But Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, again, that's Luke chapter 2. So Christmas is coming up. Think about this in the days of Caesar Augustus. So Luke is actually saying, Here, here's the peace of Rome, but here's the real peace of Jesus. Now, the peace of Rome will not allow this to happen, right? Because if you call on another one that has peace, you're going against the, the, yeah, you're subversive. You mean you say there's another Lord, there's another king. So by, just by saying that there, Jesus has come in peace, you actually are putting your life at stake against, uh, against Rome. Yeah. Right. So King, uh, King Herod was a vassal, or he was put in charge by the Caesar. So King Herod could only claim temporary or, 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 or kind of a qualified lordship. Yep. Yeah, right. And, but I mean, and, and even his uh, kingship, though, was what? It was still under Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate actually had real power in the region. King Herod was around just so that they'd keep the Israelites from warring against the, the Romans. It was an illusionary, and, uh, 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 you know, after Jesus uh, dies and rises again and ascends, you have uh, the rise of the zealots, and uh, uh, 
the destruction of the 70, but when's Masada or whatever it's called, Mary? You were there, right? Did you? Is that when it was? Same year as the destruction of the temple. All that stuff happens around some other time, and people are, are uh, I forgot the guy, his name, who, what's his name? Oh, yeah, right, the, the Romans. But who is the Jewish guy who, oh, man. Well, Mikey, yeah. Uh, anyways, but uh, it, it, there was, yeah, so you have these people who say, hey, we really need to have a real king or establish uh, re- a real Israel. So they actually went against Herod and his kind of lineage and, and then the Romans, too. But then that's when, uh, yeah, Titus and all those guys came in and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, burned it down to the city and said, enough is enough. Can't put up with you people anymore. And then they had peace. All right, so the thing is, though, is that, um, so so what Paul is talking about, we kind of take it for granted because we sort of believe in the separation of church and state. So you can talk about Jesus being your real peace and your real hope without necessarily being subversive to your cultural context. However, um, I I would kind of argue whether that's actually true or not, because... So anyway, so you obviously you see Obama there, right? Okay. Now, I, I, this is, has nothing to do with Obama as a person, but his slogans and his politicking. Obviously, this was 2008, not the latest, the latest presidential election. But this was probably the most obvious. I would argue that almost every politician does something like this on, 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 on some level. So what, is, what was Obama's big thing? Hope and change, right? Hope and change, and yes, we can. Uh, so we see, we actually see a lot of the same kind of stuff in today's kind of re, uh, landscape. We have a relit, we have a political ruler that wraps himself in religious garb, and that and that's not just Obama, right? Mm-hmm. I, but I think I mean that was it was so obvious for me when I'm seeing this. He's asking to have hope. Now, he probably wouldn't say hope in him, but that's the subtext, right? Hope in him. Uh, and we hope for change. We hope for something new. And, and as you can tell, I mean, regardless of how you feel about him, you can't deny the fact that it was uh, inspiring for many people. Right? I mean, his whole uh, acceptance in, in, uh, at Grand Park, right? I mean, it was overwhelming. And, and to a certain extent, I mean, I, I, when I, I watched it, I mean, I, 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 we, well, we didn't watch the whole thing. We just saw it. But I could only take, again, my whole problem with it is just the religious thing. It's not even so much Obama. It was just like it was too overwhelming me, me to see that I felt like, holy smokes, people are putting their hope in this whole situation. But, of course, I'm a little cynical about politicians. Yes. Which, which I'll get to in a second where, like, that's part of my challenge that Paul confronts me and Thessalonians is that how yeah so that was another the subtext for today it's his anniversary of his death right yeah his martyrdom I would say what Cuban Missile Crisis the whole nine yards right oh yeah he dies yeah Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, it was interesting because yesterday I had a circuit council meeting or a circuit meeting with uh, other fellow pastors in the area, and uh, I was the youngest person there by a few decades. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, one of the one of the men, said, "Hey, you know, I know this doesn't apply to Marcus, but uh, uh, you know, it's the anniversary of uh, the assassination of John F. Kennedy." And they all, everyone to a T went around the room and remembered exactly where they were and what they were doing. Vivid. Now, for, for I mean, so for my generation, it's, it's the, uh, that kind of event was the space shuttle, I, I think. Challenger. The Challenger's yeah. destruction. I remember when that happened, I was walking to lunch, and uh, the, uh, our practice at our Centene Elementary School was to have that kind of stuff on TVs. 
so that you're, you're walking to lunch and you can see, oh, hey, you know, and all of a sudden it explodes and all the kids were like, what, what just happened? And, the, and I just remember Mr. Flanagan <laughs> um, kind of like uh, shocked at first and then he was trying to shut it off kind of thing and be like, because he, he kind of realized, holy smoke, something really bad's happening. And Brian Krieger saying, whoa, those are cool fireworks. <laughs> no, no, I mean, but I remember that very clearly. I mean, it's very interesting. Anyways, so, so yeah, so, okay, so Carol's whole point is that, you know, this, this sort of thing has been happening. I would say, actually, it's been probably happening probably, you know, for even longer than just 50 years. And, but but it gets, it's, I think it's gotten to a point now where it's become so part of our kind of landscape that I think as Christians we have to kind of ask ourselves, you know, what's going on around here? Holly? I think it's just infiltrated church. We've already talked about that. Yeah, right. Right. Because they put all their hope in, in this person. Yep. And not, not in. What happened when Paul died? Yeah, actually, there's no record of that. That's a very interesting point. No, well, in fact, I mean, obviously, when Jesus died, right, too? I mean, holy smokes. Yeah, no, so I think, so this is something where I, I think it's very important for us as Christians to be somewhat with a, with a critical ear and a critical eye to the political discussion. Um, and the reason why I say that is not to withdraw from politics, but actually to engage in it. And this is where, like, my lesson, I have to learn this lesson, because my default is to kind of say, whatever, this is just the way it is, and it will always be that way. I think Paul, in the, these passages, as he's talking about hope, for those who have fallen asleep, he's using, uh, he's using this, whole, this whole very interesting, for me, very, very interesting vocabulary uh, in terms of like politics or, or ruling dignitaries or, or the way of, of Rome. And, and I think it's very instructive for us. So, so what Paul is saying is that you have to put things into context not to annihilate one or the other, meaning that since you have hope in Jesus, you don't, you don't have to worry about kind of the earthly way of doing things or the politics of doing things. Or, 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 or the opposite, uh, uh, mixing the two, where you kind of throw upon the, uh, ruling, the ruler this kind of allegiance that would only be devoted towards, towards Jesus. Um, so, and the reason why he does that, though, is because Jesus has died and risen, the life in Christ, uh, you know, among the church, uh, it means something. So, like, whatever you do, you, you have this kind of, uh, subtext to your life that's filled with meaning because Jesus died and rose again. And you see that all the way up through chapter 1, 2, 3, and then even to 4 as Paul is talking to this, this uh, congregation. So that regardless of, of where you live, your life means something. And because it means something, you can't just simply say, oh, well, that's just the way it is. I mean, in terms of your, your context. So... Um, because Jesus died and rose again, now you have hope, and because you have hope, then you engage whatever's happening in the world with, with confidence and um, a direction. Krista. Um, I was thinking, just, um, I think Christians should be engaged in a political um, arena, and I was just thinking of uh, <coughs> John the Baptist. He, he got engaged That's in right. politics, too. You know, and uh, um, in my age, <laughs> um, I think um, uh, you, you will have a little bit different viewpoint, um, uh, uh, even, even with, um, uh, with our president. Um, you can just a little bit see how, how he is um, um, leading the country mm -hmm. uh, from himself as a Nazis. To to uh, out in the in the world, and uh, um, I think how it was in Germany. <laughs> they uh, they uh, had the biggest. Uh, they they really they really uh, yeah. revered yeah. President Obama, didn't yeah. they? Yes. Yeah, they 
Yeah, now, w w why is that, by the way? Uh, um, maybe I should ask Gunter. Yeah. <laughs> you should, everyone should ask Gunter why. That's right. You know, just, just something. No? Um, and uh, um, I think more and more it's, uh, it's a little bit disappointing how, um, uh, how he, I don't want to say how he's crumbling, but... Um, People are losing hope in them. Yeah. yeah. Actually, you know, that's kind of interesting. Now, the, the other, you know, talking about Germany, maybe I was going to maybe think about this. You can actually go through the world right now and, and see how the reverence for Caesar has impl uh, 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 gone over the world. I mean, so uh, I think one of the more extreme, obviously, the most extreme probably is, is North Korea. You know anything about how they revere their leader? I mean, does it? Does it, anyone actually ever studied? I mean, they believe he had he, uh, uh, the 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 first Kim. You know, he was born on the wings of a bird. I mean, it's very interesting these strange religious stories, mythical stories, and uh, but the people believe them. Now, the other one would be C, uh, C, uh, uh, Hugo Hugo Chavez in Venezuela. The amount of reverence for people had for him. Um, so, you know, I mean, this is something that, that's prevalent throughout the world, is that this is uh, kind of reverence. And when I say reverence, I mean like godly reverence for their leaders, not just simply respect. And, I mean, there's this like... Well, the, okay, so hang on. So this is good now, because the Pax Rome, the peace of Rome, people had reverence for Caesar, but was it because of love or because of fear? And for some people, so, but from uh, Caesar's perspective and who, uh, Hugo Chavez, it didn't matter whether people loved him or feared him. It's just that most importantly, people did what he, what he said. Well, right. So, so again, so now we have a, like this, you know, which is usually results in a cult of personality where people are just, just, they're so afraid of their leader, they just do whatever he says. But um, especially... Uh, there's a, well, Frontline. Has anybody watched Frontline on PBS? I'm a big fan of Frontline. You should watch it. Um, they do have a, uh, an episode on Hugo Chavez before he died. And interviewing some of the people in Venezuela, there is the fear, but there is also the adoration. Very interesting. So, uh, you know, I think we get, uh, get some of that also here in the United States, but not to that extreme, and that, that's, that's good. I mean, I, but, you know, this is something where as we look back at our kind of American history, we, to a certain extent, we do have a way of retelling our history in very kind of religious terms. Uh, and I put at the end there, the, like I just list of things. Pledge of Allegiance, Statue of Liberty, I mean, with Statue of Liberty, what, what does the Statue of Liberty say? Give me what? Yeah, okay. You know, I, I get a little nervous about all that stuff, too. Um, what about the reverence for the Constitution? I mean, I, I, that's very interesting for me because as people interpret the Constitution, it sounds like there's like there's theologians talking about interpreting the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Nancy. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah, you're mining a little bit even further into what I was thinking is that, yeah, so man, manifest destiny, holy smokes, God's chosen nation, uh, that, that's, uh, that gets me really nervous, but I wasn't, I wasn't going to go that far. I just was thinking about, just in terms of like kind of average Joe kind of thing, is that, you know, like the Bill of Rights even, like, I mean, how, how that is upheld. I'm, I'm for rights. I mean, I'm just, I mean, I'm talking about how, uh, how we treat this in a way that people would, Yeah, not not to not to make too much, of it, but I always think about the martyrs at this time in the early church and people who are willing to die. Yeah, just to say that Jesus is Lord, and how we, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, 
Well, I don't think so, but I, that, I, my, I always do go that far. I always go into that. You have to go that far to the big piece. Right. It's, again, living, or living and waiting in expectation of, of the hope of Christ's death and resurrection and all that the way we right. live our life. And putting your hope, I think we all do it to a certain extent at different times. Yeah, right. In our Sure. In our pastors. Yep. In our best friends. In our government. All that stuff. Yep. You're right. Sure. Oh, yep. And poof. They're either gone or they disappoint us. That's right. Yeah. Uh, good. Thanks, Carol, for saying that because um, originally that's what I was going to ask about. Like, you know, what do we put our hope in these days? Of course, we want to say God, but there's so, but yeah, but so there's so many times in life where you come into contact with people who are really grieving over over things that they, you know, there there is no hope in. Like you said, parents, uh, pastors, teachers, government stuff, the whole nine yards. And, and so Paul's pastoral care in this circumstance, uh, the reason why I think what, what's really great is, is he's confronting the worldview now of these people. Like, how do you wake up in the morning, see, see life, see reality? And, and so as, he, as you wake up, like, do you see a world that's ruled by powers and principalities? Or do you see a, a world ruled by God through his son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again? And, of course, we want to say the second one. But everything in our life is, is butting up against that. Martyrdom is just the most extreme version of it, I think. But we do, make, we do have these uh, times in our life where we always, we, we always deny Jesus. I mean, there's always a denial of Jesus going on in our life. And that's based on, on what we uh, put our hope in. Yeah. Yeah, anyways, so nothing's really changed. That was another thing I was going to say, is that even in the first century, I mean, depending on when you think this was written, one guy thinks it was written in 40, you know, so we're talking like, you know, seven years from Jesus' death, the Thessalonians written, most people think it was 52, but still it's pretty early. You know, people already have these, these struggles even people who have seen Jesus die and rise again, you know, they still have this struggle of who do they put their hope in. Krista. <laughs> Pastor, I think <clears throat> it's really when you see the, the history of 2,000 years from, from uh, Paul, it's really a, myth, uh, a miracle that they are still Christians. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and all these, um, and I think, we are going through um, a Christian persecution here too, more and more and more, because um, of freedom of a religion mm -hmm. that um, equals out everybody who has a different religion. Right. And uh, and so and I think um, or that the Christians, uh, whatever is, uh, is, uh, is it in the uh, elementary schools or so. Um, in earlier times, there was nobody would care about a Christmas song. Right. And now it's back. It's back, yeah, right. You know, um, in, in the uh, years where we live here, and, and uh, you see more and more that's against Christians. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, I think about my children all the time and how my kids will be faced with making a right confession. Uh, against a society that just simply won't accept it. You know, there's no, and, and so, like, I mean, obviously the, the, the marriage law that was signed in a few days ago, that will come up. Um, 
Yeah, right. Uh, you know, and that's yeah. Again, that I think this is all part and parcel of Paul's point. It's not just about funerals in this section. It's about how you see the world, and uh, yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, which which is part of the kind of the the our our the lie that we believe that just because our kids sang Christmas songs, you know, twenty forty years ago, that our public school system was teaching proper values, or or or, or like Christian values. It, the fact that our, our school, school, public schools teach values should make you nervous, period. Because there's, I mean, there's always a question. I mean, I think, I mean, I always, uh, you know, wherever Franklin School is over here, you know, they have a, like a little thing that says, like, character, integrity. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, so, I mean, it's one of those things where, like I, I don't, I mean, I sleep at night okay. I mean, I'm, I'm okay sleeping, but I mean, it's one of those things where uh, eventually my children will have to be confronted with, yeah, um, and, and thankfully it will hopefully be when they're, you know, a little bit older. Yeah, right. But it's not always, you know, it's not like that. But I mean, that, that's, you know, so that's the whole thing. You're right, surely, is that. Yeah, I mean, every, there's, it's, all, it's always on as Christians. You always are, uh, your worldview based on the death and resurrection of Jesus is always going to be uh, confronted with something else. Right. Yep, and, and uh, not, you know, again, there's so much stuff we could do in Thessalonians, but What's Paul, the first few chapters, what he, he describes is he's a mother, he's a father, he's a brother. He's establishing the new family connections. And so, surely, you're absolutely right. When you lead your children, it's fa- I mean, the family is the, param- is the fundamental kind of, yeah, the, the sociological foundation for Christianity. But that's, that's a whole other subject. But um, Val needs to go to surgery, so... We need to finish up, but Lindsay, what's up? Uh, no, 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 please do. I meant to say that just so that. Yeah, we have five minutes still. Oh, come on! Open a can of worms. We don't have to talk about it. We just open it up. Okay. Well, I'm a little bit bothered by, you know, we're not. I feel like we're not leaving enough room for the Holy Spirit to work when we say things like we need to lead our children in the Christian faith. It really doesn't leave a whole lot of room for. For the Holy Spirit. It's, it's like what part of the beautiful thing about Christian faith is that there's no force in it. Yeah, right, okay. As soon as you say something like You're right. we we're taking this out of our schools, well that's not the responsibility of the school. School in the first place, right. And I think that when you as Shirley said, instill that in your yep. children, you have to leave room at the same time for your children to, to let the Holy Spirit work. Yeah, right, right, absolutely. Yeah, uh, okay, so, so, yeah, right, actually, Lindsay, so Lindsay brought up the whole point, this is for, if we put it on the internet, Mary, um, you know, Lindsay brings up the whole point is that, um, you know, we, we, theoretically, we can only, we only can do so much in terms of actually, uh, whatever, yeah, instruction, guiding, keeping our kids safe with the whole nine yards, and, but, but it's really up to the Holy Spirit in, in leading our children in the way of Jesus. If you, if you instill this like, fear of the, All right. of the world, then one day they're going to find out it's not so scary. Fear goes against hope, though. That's right. So if we, if we sit around and talk all the time about, oh, the world is such a scary place and we kill people right. and destructive and so ugly, yeah, those are all, that, that is true. But it's also, it's also God's creation. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of beautiful things about the world. That's right. And so it's teaching your children what is beautiful and what is ugly. Uh, so, so the, yeah, so actually, you're right, Lindsay. And, and that goes back to what I said before, is that when you wake up in the morning, how do you see the world? Do you see the world through the death and resurrection of Jesus, which would be then in hope, you know, uh, peace, great confidence? Or do you see the world in terms of some other thing? You know, in Paul here, it's, it's kind of dealing with the Roman issue. Um, and so, 
of course, those two come up against each other in very real ways. So you, you, you have to be realistic, but at the same time, you enter into this dialogue with hope, I mean, this, this confidence. And that's Paul's whole point, is that uh, to, to, uh, to, to not have that rub would be kind of a false expectation. So the idea is, uh, like, I had to keep my children away from bad, evil things in order to kind of keep, you know, keep them safe. Well, that's actually not true, because what keeps them safe is, is Jesus. Um, and so whether you live or die, you're still with Jesus. And that's the Paul brings that up in Philippians and Romans. Uh, and that would be kind of underpinning also here in Thessalonians. Lindsay, also, whether you knew it or not, Paul introduces that in chapter 1, uh, 3, 4, 5, 3, 4, 5, something, where he talks about in the Holy Spirit. So, um, yeah, that's uh, absolutely right. But, but the thing is, is that as we, as Christians, and so Paul's whole point is not that, uh, as you put, if you were to put uh, hope in this this wrong thing, everything would be okay. That that was Carol's whole point: is that either uh, it's going to just disappoint you, and we see that a lot with the world, right? I mean, you know, I had a lot of hope in my plan and to be a doctor and make money, and then life sucks and it's terrible. <laughs> you know, I mean, you see that with a lot of different people. Uh, uh, yeah, so, so, so that'd be on the one level. But the other, so, but with Jesus, though, regardless of what situation you're in, whether you're in a, kind of a relatively safe place like Wheaton or some other, like a, a Muslim country where, you know, it's illegal to be a Christian, the reality doesn't change. God is still, still, yeah, still in control, if you want to say it that way, but this is still God's world, this is still God's creation, and that his... Uh, love and mercy and salvation doesn't change regardless. And so you have this great hope in, in this, the return of Jesus where things will be made right or, or celebratory or the whole festivity of the Roman uh, background. So, and that, so that's great for us. And that would be then to guard against kind of the exclusivity of kind of like the American way. And I would say that's, that's why... For me personally, that's why I, I appreciate not having the American flag in, in the nave. Right. Um, because I, I don't like mixing these things. I like to have the, the Russian come into the sanctuary and this is our place. Yeah. You know? So anyways, let's pray and go.